the Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. Man, is our media just a massive dumpster fire? I mean, I, I, I understand why so many people have said, I just can't watch any news anymore. If you were watching MSNBC or CNN, yeah, what am I doing? Kidding myself. You weren't watching that. Anyway, uh, former Trump campaign aide Sam Nunberg uh, was on television all day yesterday. What progressed throughout the day it was a little hard to describe unless you're in AA. It was almost as if Nunberg was having a complete and total meltdown. And the media was well aware of it. They knew it. They knew it. But they had to put it on display to show everyone how crazy this former Trump aide actually is. Nunberg has, let's just say, a a bit of a history with the Trump team. He was hired by the campaign. Then he was fired. Then he was rehired. Then he was fired again. And he's had his public squabbles with Trump and staffers like Corey Lewandowski and Sarah Huckabee Sanders. And some might say when it comes to Donald Trump, he has a dog in this fight. So Nunberg just calls up NBC out of the blue. Now, he, you have to remember, he is a guy who was questioned by Mueller's investigators recently as part of the Russian investigation. And he did with, you know, what anyone with an axe to grind does. He ran straight to the mainstream media. And what followed was the most sensationalized crap show I have ever seen. At no time did he give any evidence against Donald Trump. Nothing. He has nothing. But in interview after interview after... How many interviews did he do yesterday, Stu? What was the final number? Four or five, at least. Every interview, he implied that Miller, quote, may have something on President Trump. But And this is where he really makes his strong point here. And I quote, But I don't know for sure. Oh, my gosh. Stop the presses, everybody. He's got something, and yet he has nothing. Okay, Sam. If you don't know at all, then why are you saying you know? I don't. Maybe it's because this is some drunken, crazy sideshow. He pressed on with Jake Tapper. Now, if you think he's hoping for something more substantial to back up his allegations, instead, you got this boozy or doozy of a statement. They know something on Donald Trump. And I'm quoting, they know something on Donald Trump. I don't know what it is. And perhaps I'm wrong, but he did something. Oh, my gosh. How is Trump walking around a free man with evidence like that? <laughs> Let me see if I have this right. They know something. I don't know what. Maybe I'm wrong, but he totally did something. Hmm. Man, with logic like that, he's been listening to the teenagers in Florida. This was a total and complete meltdown. In between making wild, baseless accusations, Nunberg took personal shots at members of the Trump team and voiced his intention to ignore a subpoena from Robert Mueller. Now, how does that make sense? Well, I think it made perfectly good sense. 
if your goal is to hurt Trump and his team, why wouldn't you then be all on board cooperating with the Russia investigation? Of course he would. And the media knows this. They knew exactly what they were doing, putting this guy on multiple times yesterday on live national television. Nunberg had no business being interviewed. In the last interview, CNN said, well, I, I, I smell alcohol on your breath. Jesus, that's crazy. His accusations were baseless. He had clear motive to want to hurt Trump, who, in his words, treated me like crap. And in his wild bravado, he uh, defied Mueller, which was obviously meant only as a grandstand. The media knew this, but they ate it up like a kid eating, eating Lucky Charms on Saturday morning when mom only makes him or lets him eat, you know, granola for the rest of the week. They weren't looking to report any news. All they wanted to do was live stream a public meltdown from a guy who used to work for the president. If Nunberg dodges Mueller's subpoena, then he should be thrown in jail. And to the media, man, you're lucky you're in America. You really are. Because any other dictator would throw you in jail as well. You're shameful shameful for what you're doing it's tuesday march 6th this is the glenn beck program well hello america we have a great show for you i think it's maybe sometime later this week but today's show is pretty good as as well today we actually have a great show we have brad Meltzer. Uh, coming in, who is always fascinating um, on history and what's really happening in the world. He has a new book out called The Escape Artist, which is uh, um, the reviews are it's his best yet. I just started reading it. And just the opening chapter is worth the price of admission. Um, It starts with the line, um, something about Harry Houdini's uh, partner was the was the first guy to really run the Secret Service, the U.S. Secret Service. It's the only time a magician has ever been in the Secret Service. The Escape Artist by Brad Meltzer. He's going to be with us. Also, Dave Rubin is going to be with us. And can we play the Dave Rubin thing? Because I couldn't disagree with Dave Rubin more than his Prager University uh, hit. Here's Dave Rubin on why he's no longer a progressive. Listen to this. Do you believe in free speech? Do you believe that people should be judged by their character, not their skin color? Do you believe in freedom of religion? If you believe these things, you're probably not a progressive. You might think you're a progressive. I used to think I was. My show, The Rubin Report, was originally part of the Progressive Young Turks Network. Progressives struck me as liberals but louder. Progressives were the nice guys. They looked out for the little guy. They cared about women and minorities. They embraced change. In short, who wouldn't want to be a progressive? But over the last couple of years, the meaning of the word progressive has changed. Progressives used to say, I may disagree with what you say, but I'll fight to the death for your right to say it. Not anymore. Banning speakers whose opinions you don't agree with from college campuses, that's not progressive. 
prohibiting any words not approved of as politically correct. That's not progressive. Putting trigger warnings on books, movies, music, anything that might offend people, that's not progressive either. All of this has led me to believe that much of the left is no longer progressive, but regressive. He's absolutely right in, 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 in all that he's saying, except historically. And I think this is one problem that we have in America is people think they know what progressive means, but that's not it. That was a trick by FDR, taking the word liberal and attaching that to the word progressive. Everything that he described is what the early 20th century progressive believed, all of those things. But it was so scary to the American people after Woodrow Wilson that it had to be relabeled. And so it was FDR relabeling it liberal. So that way people were confusing. They're like, oh, well, these are the people that fight for my rights. No, these are the people that take your rights away. And they're on both sides of the aisle. It's not a Democratic thing. It's a Democrat and Republican thing. This uh, The progressive movement is very, very American. It is the American version of a communist takeover. That's what it is. He is a fascinating guy, and we're going to talk to him uh, about his conversion and how that's going for him. The friends that he has lost uh, and his his viewpoint on what is really happening in America. That is in hour number three. Let's first start. Well, let me say hello to Stu. Hello, Stu. How are Hi, you? Glenn. How are you? Oh, it's so good to see you again. And oh. I mean that so deeply. Mm, these, I no, can, no, I, deeply. The right sincerity here, is dripping off of Right you. in here someplace. more Kind of like where uh, my pancreas is. Okay. I feel it that <laughs> is deep. Is that where your pancreas is? I have no idea, but you I think You are a doctor, so I would assume you'd know. You're right. I am. Thank you for pointing that out. I'd like to uh, make sure that you call me doctor for the rest of the day now. Um so let's talk about Nunberg, and can we play some of the the super super highlights of his appearance on television? Let's first start with MSNBC because this is he's on the phone. This is his first appearance of the day, where um, he's up early. But you know, a lot of us alcoholics are up early. Not to say he's an alcoholic. Well, but something's going on here. He's setting the scene a little bit. I know you mentioned some of this, but he was he's not a fan of Trump anymore. So here's a guy. Who's I think been, he hang on just a second. I think he is. He he definitely has an, an affinity for him. However, yeah. they've had massive disagreements. Correct. He's been if, fired. But if been, Trump would say to him, come on back home, oh yeah, he probably, would come home. Yeah, you're probably right. right. Yeah. Now, I will say he has been the reason why he just gets on the air when he calls in is because he's a very uh, famous leaker. He's no. he, he's a source he for a lot of these unsor you know, uh, a person close to no. a former Trump advisor said a, a lot of that's Nunberg. Okay. Um he was he comes out in a lot he's done a lot of the books, a lot of the mm-hmm. kind of unsourced reports. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a lot of him. He's friends with Bannon and friends with Stone or was friends with Bannon and friends with Stone. Yeah, so he, he's in the he's in the worst of the worst category. <laughs> so I don't I don't know which one is uh, I'm honestly losing track have, of so many of them. I, I think MSNBC was the first one. I don't have the. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's start here though with the, the actually on Tapper here number uh, Tapper with on his uh, cooperation on the subpoena. Uh, this is from yesterday. Why are you refusing to cooperate with this subpoena? Because it's absolutely ridiculous what they requested from me. They requested first of all they sent me a subpoena where they asked me after November 1 of 2015, did I communicate with Carter Page, Corey Lewandowski? I mean, I despise Corey. Why would I communicate with him? Hope Hicks, 
who was having an affair with Corey, and I, I would communicate. I should give them every email from November 1 of 2015 to perpetuity with Steve Bannon and, and Roger Stone? Why? Why do I have to give that to the, to the government? Well, I mean, because it's a special prosecutor and he's requesting information. Well, he's, 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 you, know, he's, you know, what would, what would you say if it was a Democrat? Same thing. Would you, would you agree? <laughs> would you agree that I would have to do that if, I, if yes. they were investigating mm -hmm. a Democrat? You would? Yeah. Okay, fine. Well, you know what? I don't think I should. <laughs> okay. That's a all great right. argument. All right. Well, you know, that's not the way the law works. You know what they did? They asked me for all of the stuff on my computer from this day to this day. <laughs> Why should I have to give it to them? Because because that's the way the law works. Yeah. That's the way subpoena. You know, why would they subpoena me on those things? Because that, again, is the way the law says you have to turn it in. It's a little thing called the Constitution. It's a little thing. It's it's a strange. I mean, look, I kind of tend to agree with the analysis that the media did not do a good job with this. The guy's obviously having massive problems, and I, you don't just keep throwing them on the air over and over again. Uh, I, I the first interview I can kind of excuse. The second one maybe. Yeah. You know, when we're getting down the road to Aaron Burnett, we'll have, which we'll have here in a second, it's way off. No, the there's, rails. No, there's no, um, there's no reason. Here's but here's the. This one is is quite the clip. Uh, Jake Tapper talking to Numberg about Sarah Huckabee oh uh, and her, her appearance. You know what? You know what? If Sarah Huckabee wants to, wants to start debasing me, she's a joke. Okay, fine. Yeah, she's unattractive. She's a fat slob. Okay, fine. But that's not relevant. Her, her, the person she works for has a thirty percent approval rating. Okay. So if she wants to start attacking me, she can do that. That's fun. But we know it's a joke. Everybody knows it's a joke. Okay, did anybody notice that he has a really stuffy nose at this point? Mm. I'm just saying that it's, I mean, I hope he got allergy medicine for that stuffy nose it that is he that had season. at that point. It is that season. It is that season. It is that season. I've got the Zyrtec myself. And sometimes that makes you just say things, you know, and free will think out loud. <laughs> sure does. Or it doesn't. But I, again, I don't, there was not a conversation about Sarah Huckabee's no. appearance at this time. He just kind no. of just brought that And I love the way he brought it up and then said, but what does it have anything to do with anything? You can tell why, why Trump liked him. <laughs> you can tell because it's kind of a Trump tactic, right? Really kind of, look, it's not, yeah, sure, he's a total loser. He's failing. <laughs> but but uh, that's got nothing to do with it. It's just it, like, it's kind of that tactic. Yeah, it's, it's, kind of like, it's good. Uh, I mean, it certainly seems like perhaps, and I, I don't I don't necessarily have evidence uh, of this uh, myself. However, Aaron Burnett apparently had some. Okay. That he was maybe having an issue uh, with alcohol. Mm -hmm. uh, here is the clip uh, mm -hmm. from, from, from Aaron Burnett's show on CNN. Um, talking to you, yeah. I have smelled alcohol in your breath. Well, I, I have not had a drink. You no, haven't I, had a drink, so that's no. not... <laughs> no. I so I, I just, because it is the talk out there, again, I know it's awkward, let mm -hmm. me just get, give you the question well, so you can uh, categorically answer that. No, you haven't had a drink answer, today? My answer is no. I have not. Anything else? No. 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 Besides my meds. 
Okay. To antidepressants, is that okay? Yeah. No, oh, I, I mean, why I'm not I'm you, just trying to you, understand. Why would well, you look, say well, that? Look, they what can say, today? They can say whatever they want. I don't really care. Mm-hmm. You're right. <laughs> that is okay. a hell of a clip. Now, I, again, this is at least the third time he's been on CNN that day. That day. Yeah. C- come on. The first one, all right. Second one, yeah, and, and you know, if third you sus- one, and if on. you suspect, follow the guy. In between, where's he going? <laughs> if he he's go- going to the bar, <laughs> you're pretty clear. <laughs> we used to work in that building. There's a bar right across right the street. Across the- all you have to there. do is look out the window. <laughs> you have to walk downstairs to get into it. All the CNN drunks hang out there. You know where it is. <laughs> you smelled alcohol. You were at the bar next to him, most likely. <laughs> Smell alcohol, my brother. What are you talking about? Aaron, I just wanted to tell you, I love you. (laughs) Simply Safe, the home security company uh, that uh, I have uh, been happy to be partnered with for a very, very long time. Uh, They are uh, a group of people that when they started with us, they had 10 employees. Now, They are protecting over 2 million people and creating jobs here in America. And they've just released their brand new home security system, the all new Simply Safe. This system has been completely rebuilt and redesigned. They've added new safeguards to protect against power outages, downed Wi Fi, cut landlines, bats, hammers, everything in between. The all new Simply Safe, redesigned to be practically invisible with the power of sensors so small that you'll hardly notice them. But you know who does notice them? Intruders, especially if they don't see them, but they hear the alarm. And what's truly remarkable with this complete redesign, this, the price is still the same fair and honest price. 24-7 protection for $15 a month. There is no one else in the industry that is doing this. It's smarter. It's faster. It's stronger than anything they built before. But supply is limited. SimplySafeBeck.com. Go there now to order. That's SimplySafeBeck.com. Protect your home and your family. SimplySafeBeck.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Let's go to Leonard in uh, California. Hello, Leonard. Hello. Progressivism. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go I ahead. Want to return the favor. Progressivism is always government answer, more bureaucracy, more cost, more burden. We need a paradigm shift. It's uh, progressivism always makes things progressively worse. Um. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would tend to agree well, with that. Yeah. Well, only in all circumstances, though. You know what, Stu? Mm-hmm. I don't appreciate. I don't. I've been drinking. I don't appreciate you even <laughs> implying that. Didn't but you're impl- you're right. I think on that, <laughs> okay. except in all circumstances. Thanks, Len. How are things in California, Glenn? I'm a, I'm a regulatory consultant. You send somebody from the blaze out here, I'll blow up Jerry Brown in California. You won't believe it. <laughs> how do you, wait, wait, wait. How do you how do you mean? Uh, I mean. Sell me. I, I have I have a friend who's a former head of, of the agency that that covered regulation out here. He calls some of these agencies evil. I said, what do you mean? They have perfected the denial of due process. I kid you not. Oh, no, I, I believe that. I tell you what, Leonard, hang on. I do want to get your information and uh, we'll have somebody from the blaze uh, reach out to you. I mean, due process. This is something that we're covering tonight on on television. Um, the. We're going to do a two-part series tonight at 5 o'clock. You don't want to miss this. Please don't miss this. We are blaming everything and everybody. 
but the government is only blaming us. Okay, now they may not blame you, but they're blaming us as collective. And as we say, we got to do something, oh, they do something. They absolutely do something. And we begin to lay it all out tonight and why we need a paradigm shift in thinking. Tonight, 5 o'clock, only on The Blaze TV. That's theblaze.com slash TV. Glenn Beck, Mercury. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Hey, welcome back to the program. Um, you know, I want to I want to talk a little bit about this uh, unwillingness to uh, condemn Farrakhan uh, by the Democrats. Even Jake Tapper was uh, saying, well, you know, what, what, what's what's the deal here? Why won't anybody do this? Uh, it's interesting. Um, wish you would have asked that. Mm, I don't know. Ten years ago, when it was uh, when it was happening with the Democrats, we were questioning that. Now. Uh, it's getting worse and worse and worse. And Farrakhan is a really bad guy. I don't know. Oh, well, let me just let me just play. On. No, no. What you know, evidence do you have? You calling up somebody a bad guy on the radio? I have not been drinking, and I don't appreciate the accusation. <laughs> Sorry, Sam. The 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 idea here that he's a bad a bad guy. I'm going to let you decide. This is what he has said. Let's play. Um, Farrakhan proclaims the powerful Jews are my. Or my enemy speech given just a few days ago. Jews were responsible for all of this filth and degenerate behavior that Hollywood is putting out, turning men into women and women into men. The powerful Jews are my enemies and scared to death Negroes. Are my enemy. Oh. <laughs> and weak uh-huh. Muslims uh-huh. and hypocrites uh-huh. are his enemy. Um, okay, so that's just one piece of evidence. But let's let's go to uh, cut two, please. White folks are going down. Ah. Hmm. And Satan is going down. And Farrakhan, by God's grace, has pulled the cover off of that satanic Jew. Ah, the satanic Jew. That's nice. And I'm here to say, your time is up. Mm, Okay. So this is what the press thought the Tea Party was saying. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) This is exactly what they thought the Tea Party was saying, except it wasn't about whites. It was uh, uh, about blacks. And, yeah, I think they probably still thought we thought that about Jews, too. Okay? I don't remember ever hearing anything like that at any gathering. No, no. Okay? All right. But now, let's listen to Jake Tapper on CNN after the media, after C- well, after Jake Tapper tries to get a few Democrats to say, "Yeah, I won't. Uh, I, I I disavow Louis Farrakhan." Listen, um, several leaders of the Women's March um, uh, were uh, are supporters of Farrakhan and have not uh, condemned him. Hmm. Uh, members of the Congressional Black Caucus who have met with him were asked for their comments, and one of them, Congressman Danny Davis, not only refused to denounce Farrakhan. 
Uh, he said the world is bigger than him and his Jewish question. Why? Can we stop for just a second? Can we just stop for a second? You know, I think if you have to defend somebody and you say, you know, he's bigger than his, quote, Jewish question. I would I would think that that automatically uh, should be a, just a red flag that there's a storm on the horizon. Yeah, it's an indication you should maybe uh, go to the other team. Yeah, anyone who mm-hmm. has a Jewish question, <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty small pool, isn't it? I mean, I know Hitler had one. Yeah. Himmler had one. I will say the question seems to be the same. Uh, <laughs> it does. Between all what are we going to do with all those Jews? Yeah. You know? Uh, so I think if you have, if you're defending somebody who has a Jewish question, you might want to reevaluate your friendship. But I digress. Go ahead. For some people to condemn uh, a rabid anti Semite who is also a misogynist and anti LGBTQ. It should not be. Um, but this the reason this Good is relevant point. to our political world is, as you just noted, that there's disagreements that people are going to be asked if they're going to denounce it for good reason. And there will be alignments that have been together, women, the CBC, others that will have division over this. Um, why can't people um, criticize it? I mean, past relationships, their own caucuses and constituencies sometimes play, but it's still hard to understand. It's a pretty low bar to denounce something like that. And the people who are, you know, supporting the Women's March, what are they out there supporting for? Equality and all this stuff. And that is the opposite of equality. So how is that that hard to denounce? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. be. Yeah, it really shouldn't be. And in fact, you wouldn't be just talking about uh, it shouldn't be on television if it wasn't Democrats involved you would be saying they're all racist. You wouldn't say they, it just shouldn't be hard. You would be saying they're obviously racist if they will not deny this relationship. That was the standard. I mean, when Trump was asked about David Duke and just didn't, he didn't say he, he wasn't outwardly supporting David Duke. No. He just didn't immediately He's denounce He's never them. been in pictures with him. He's never, no. for instance, let me play this. Let me play this. Here's Louis Farrakhan not denouncing Keith Ellison, but it's really kind of important to hear Keith's relationship. Keith Ellison, you ain't got a picture of Keith? Well, let me talk about him. (laughs) Now, Keith was in the nation in 1995. He was selling the Final Call newspaper. Beautiful brother. And being in Minnesota, I think that's where he's from, he wants to help his community. He's a lawyer, so he wants to help his community, so he wants to become a congressman. You do? Wasn't that Farrakhan that you were with? That is my brother. Yeah, but I'm not here to bash him. I'm not here to bash my brother. That's what he says. Listen, listen. Let me tell you something. When you want something in this world, the Jew holds the door. Ah, Ah, okay. So he's not, he's saying, uh, Keith Ellison was a guy who was distributing these pamphlets. Now, can I ask you... um, can you imagine if the guy who was, you know, uh, towards the top of the the GOP was 
was, you know, I don't know, the the website designer or, you know, a guy who just did the website updates on Der Stormer. <laughs> you imagine sure. that? No. Hey, what was what's your relationship with the Nazi party? I don't know that. Okay, in 95, I was doing the updates for Der Stormer. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, that's a minor point against yeah, you. Would that person be anywhere near the top of the GOP? I don't think so. I don't think no. so, and I would hope not. No, we've no but grand- I will tell you this. The press would be all over Der Stormer. And that's true. Yeah. Now, we did have a grand... What... Uh, Wizard of the KKK was a prominent senator for many, many years in the other party. Robert Byrd. Uh, yeah, that yeah. was kind of a thing. Uh huh. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think but they the focused GOP, on it. But the GOP, <laughs> the Trent Lott, was escorted out of the GOP for just saying, <laughs> right. happy birthday. You know, this guy's done a lot of great stuff. Yeah. that's You can have the Grand Wizard in the Democratic Party, but you can have the Republican Party say, you know, I think he's done a lot of great things over his uh, on his birthday. It's a, it's a right. It's a question of treatment, right? The ADL came out properly and hammered uh, Farrakhan and the things he was saying. Um, and they actually took to task a little bit, the Democrats, for not uh, standing up against him. But listen to this phrasing, because, I mean, the ADL has come after you a couple times. Uh, yeah, a guy who's won Defender of Israel. Defender of Israel Award, right. Right. <laughs> right? Like when you will say something, you'll compare something to Nazis. Yes. And they will say you should never compare something to Nazis and they'll get very mad at you. Yeah, this because has happened then, a few times. Yeah, you only want to talk about Nazis when they are Nazis. Oh, wow, look what they've turned into. Nazis. <laughs> now listen to this. You just heard the guy just basically blaming every problem in the United States on Jews. Yes. Okay, this is not okay. this is not you made a comparison that you some people didn't like. Right. He's 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 blaming He's saying Jews well, are the, his enemy. Well, the satanic <laughs> Jews. The satanic, the satanic Jews. Jews. Listen to this. Because of Farrakhan's reach and influence and his broad name recognition and something like celebrity status, some public officials, politicians, and hip-hop entertainers are still willing to meet with him, still willing to have their pictures taken with him. They seemingly have a blind spot when it comes to his anti-Semitism. No, there's no way to it's have a blind, a blind spot. <laughs> it's the whole focus of every speech. No, a blind spot is take it from a guy who has eye problems. So I know what a blind spot right. is. Yeah. That's a little portion of your vision that's blurry. Right. Okay. Yeah. You can't really make out that little part. You have to be completely blind mm-hmm. on Louis Farrakhan. Yes. The blind spot may be... Wow, he eats breakfast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> huh, who knew? He's, he's a human. I didn't. I, I didn't see that one coming. Enjoys a nice blueberry crumb muffin. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's, a, that's right. your blind spot with Louis Farrakhan. And we should point out here, by the way, yes, that uh, the wonderful uh, uh, teenagers uh-huh. uh, from uh, from the terrible tragedy in Parkland, yes. who've been going on Bill Maher and yes. hanging up on the president and mm-hmm. calling him the F word over mm-hmm. and over again, and mm-hmm. everyone cheers, which sure. is a really good thing to encourage in oh, a teenager. No, it's, no, it's great. Uh, make sure entire crowds cheer when they say the F word. Good sure. idea, guys. Yeah. Um, but they are doing this march uh, for uh, whatever you know, lives. I guess it's called mm-hmm. in, in a couple of weeks mm-hmm. in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. And as you correctly noticed, almost immediately, it was strange how giant celebrities donated hundreds of thousands of dollars to this 
To it was walk. Two mil- it was two million. Yeah, it was, it's, to walk. Yeah. I mean, it takes it millions takes of dollars. Two to four million dollars to people walk. People like Oprah and yeah. and mm-hmm. uh, and sure George Clooney. Yeah. What what organization were they donating it to? Yeah. Well, of course, after a little investigation, we we found out that it was a lot of the women's march leaders hmm. uh, who would put together these uh, huh. the, these events. And this is from the ADL in the audience. Of last weekend's conference, in the audience of the speech you just heard, was Tamika Mallory, one of the leaders of the Women's March, hmm. who got a special shout-out from Farrakhan, and who regularly posts laudatory pictures of him on her Instagram account, as does Carmen Perez, another leader of the Women's March. Linda Sarsour, another March organizer, spoke and participated at a Nation of, uh, of Islam event in 2015. Okay, so you're calling them radicals. And I don't appreciate I, that. I don't know why you continue to say you could smell alcohol in my breath. I can't. You can't smell. Right. I've only medication and cocaine. Well, yeah, uh, a little bit of morphine. But right? that's all. Those are all medication. <laughs> Everybody can get those over the counter. Hey, listen, uh, you're calling them extremists just because they are participating in the event or listening to Der Fuhrer. And some high up in the parter ha- party have distributed Der Stormer. What is the problem? Right. What is the problem yeah, here? I think the problem might be obvious. <laughs> it might be obvious. Oh, no, mm. no. It's a, you could easily miss it. A little teeny blind spot. <laughs> you know what? You know what? The, you know what the real problem is. Uh, the fundamental transformation of the United States, it's happening. It's well on its way. Uh, we're in, I think, the final phases of it. Uh, and we have accepted as a society the ends justify the means. You know, when, when, when they were saying on CNN, well, you know, it shouldn't be, but there's a lot of, quote, past alignments and past cooperation. You should never be cooperating with the nation of Islam. Ever. Ever. I don't care. I mean, unless you believe all of that crap, you should never do that. It worked. It, it really didn't work out well for Mussolini. Um, it won't work out well for you either. Here's our sponsor this half hour. It's uh, Mercury Real Estate. It is realestateagentsitrust.com. Realestateagentsitrust.com. Now is the time that people are going to start listing their houses and start selling their houses or looking for a new house. But how do you how do you find the right real estate agent? I have uh, because I'm, you know, on radio, I've moved. I don't know how many times in my life and finding the right real estate agent can be really tough. I mean, you want to get somebody who can get the job done. You want to get somebody who will tell you the truth. You want to you want to find somebody who is not just trying to get the listing and then somebody else will sell the house or that they don't really appreciate the 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 value of your house. 
We started Real Estate Agents I Trust to help you find a great real estate agent in your town. We have over a thousand agents all over America who are just like you, and their bond is their word. They're fans of the show. They share, share your sensibilities. They're the people that you can trust to sell your home. Our agents are fully vetted and handpicked for my team for their knowledge, their skill, and their track record. Thousands of families have already put realestateagentsitrust.com to the test, and the results are remarkable. You should see the personal letters that we get. It's, it's really, it's a different kind of transaction. Realestateagentsitrust.com. It's already helped families who are moving to another area, families who are taking care of their parents' homes remotely, or helping families get the most for their home as quickly as possible. Go to realestateagentsitrust.com. If you're looking to buy or sell, realestateagentsitrust.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Sam Harris, Bill Maher, trying to have a conversation with Ben Affleck about radical Islam. Listen to this. Every criticism of the doctrine of Islam gets conflated with bigotry toward Muslims as people. Right. And that is uh, it's, it's intellectually ridiculous. Even it gets so hold on, are you the person who understands the officially codified doctrine of Islam? You're uh, the interpreter well, of that, well, so you well, can say, well, I, this I'm, is, I'm, I think actually, any... I'm actually well-educated well, on this topic. I'm, I'm asking you, so I mean, you're you, saying, if I criticize, the, you're saying that Islamophobia is not a real thing. That if you're critical of something... It, well, it's not a real thing when we do it. Right. Well, <laughs> well, no, it no, really no, isn't. I, I'm not denying not, that, that certain people are bigoted against Muslims as people. That's, right. And that's a that's problem. big of you. But... The, but why are you so hostile about this it's, it's gross. It's racist. It's, it's not. It's, but it's so nuts. It's, so, it's like saying it's those so not your shifty Jew. You're not listening to what not. we are saying. What? You guys are saying, if you want to be liberals, believe in liberal principles, right. like freedom of speech, like, right. um, you know, we are endowed by our uh, forefathers with an inalienable aspect, all men are created. No, stop. We have to be stop. Do you notice what he's doing here? He's mocking the principle of freedom of speech, and he also changed in sentence oh yeah we're all endowed by our crit by our founders with certain inalienable <laughs> rights oops glenn beck mercury love courage truth glenn beck so the senator from the great state of mississippi thad cochran has announced that he is retiring at the end of this month due to health issues now he's in the prime of his life he's 80 years old he's the 10th longest serving senator in u.s history gone so soon he's been a senator since 1978 how old were you in 1978 i was 14 when he started uh, he was the uh, the first Republican to win a statewide election in Mississippi in over a century. Cochran's retirement now means both Mississippi Senate seats are now up for grabs this November. If Cochran had been a strong conservative, his longevity might have been a good thing. Uh, unfortunately, he's been a classic big government spendthrift Republican instead. And to make it worse, he's the chairman of the Appropriations Committee. For conservative voters interested in replacing establishment Republicans with actual conservatives, a Mississippi state senator named Chris McDaniel provided a spark of hope when he almost beat Cochran in 2014. McDaniel is currently running against primary challenge against the junior Mississippi Republican senator, Roger Wicker, who's another old school establishment guy. 
the timing of Cochrane's announcement, a lesser man would say, was intentional. But it is at least something that stinks for McDaniel. True conservatives uh, don't like it either because McDaniel might have a better shot at winning the special election to replace Cochran than he would in unseating Roger Wicker. By waiting until yesterday to announce his resignation, Cochran basically forced McDaniel to race against Wicker. Still, it's possible McDaniel could switch races and run for Cochran's seat. We don't know how probable that is at this point. Now, Republican Mississippi Governor Phil Bryant has 10 days to appoint an interim senator to replace Cochran in April. Conservatives, don't get your hopes up. Those close to Governor Bryant are already saying that he's not going to pick Chris McDaniel to be Cochran's temporary replacement. President Trump and Mitch McConnell are encouraging Governor Bryant to appoint himself as the interim senator. Oh. They're paranoid about a race with McDaniel turning out like the Alabama Senate special election last November in which a reliably Republican Senate seat was lost to a Democrat, Doug Jones. Then again, Cochran did set his resignation date as April 1st. So who knows? I mean, maybe this is all an April Fool's joke. It's Tuesday, March 6th. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Brad Meltzer, welcome to the program. I love hearing your voice. Uh, You know what? You are one of my favorite guests. You're one of my favorite writers, one of my favorite people and favorite historians. I mean, it doesn't get any better. I pre-listened right back to you. We've been together a long time, my friend, since I had hair. Uh, I don't think you had that much hair then. Well, it was at least one. <laughs> there was one. <laughs> Charlie there was, Brown style. Yes, there was one hair when you had when, when we first met. So, Brad, uh, I have to be honest with you. I'm reading about 600 books right now, uh, and I'm I'm. I, it helps for me to have them on audio tape. So I started early this morning on your book, uh, and I'm not there, but I will read it. And I want to have you back when I finish the book uh, because I know I'm going to find all kinds of things about history in here. Uh, that uh, that you know that is always something great. I want to start, however, uh, with the beginning, uh, and this isn't going to wreck anything. There's two things that I have to have you tell the story right away. First, the opening. Hang on, right before the opening, there is. Hang on, hang on. Let me just. Yeah. My fa- it's my favorite page one that we've ever had. The Escape Artist definitely has my favorite page one we've ever done. So I don't know if you count this as page one, um, because I think I know what you're talking about. But this is my page one. I want to start here. In 1898, John John Albert Wilkie, a friend of Harry Houdini, was put in charge of the United States Secret Service. Wilkie was a fan of Houdini and did his own tricks himself. It's the only time in history that a magician was in control of the Secret Service. Oh, my God. (laughs) What a great opening. Tell me the tell me the true story of this first. It's an incredible story. I couldn't shake it for the better part of, uh, you know, years and years now. And I just figured, how do I, you know, how is a magician in control of the Secret Service and none of us know this from history? And I looked into it, and Harry Houdini had his own Secret Service. Um, this was something that, uh, you know, is what they used to do is they used to go to town early. And I don't want to ruin the book, because you'll see in The Escape Artist, you know, it's fiction, it's a thriller, but I always build it around real facts. It's a modern-day thriller, but I saw this detail from history. 
And what he did was his, his private secret service would go to towns early. They would figure out what handcuffs the police wore and used so that Harry Houdini could pick them. They figured out what kind of locks were on the jail cells. That was how he did the magic trick. But what I traced it back to even more, Glenn, and you'll appreciate this part, is it's not the first time it happened that the government used a magician. Because there was a man who worked for Abraham Lincoln, who was also a magician. And he used to do rope tricks and escapes. And Abraham Lincoln, during the Civil War, thought he'd make a great spy. So he hired him in the Civil War. This man eventually grew up. I don't want to ruin his name because it'll ruin something in the book. But this man eventually grew up and became such good friends with Lincoln. He's one of the people who was at Lincoln's deathbed. And then eventually this man became friends with Harry Houdini. And this is all real. It's an unbelievable lost part of history that I found. And when I built The Escape Artist, I just thought, this is what's going to be at the core of it. And the thing about Harry Houdini that I just adore is Harry Houdini was so obsessed with death that he used to give his Secret Service and his closest friends secret passwords that if they came back from the dead, Mm -hmm. it would be a code word only he would know and they would know. So he would know if it was really them during a seance because he used to always try and disprove people who were doing seances. And the story... Then the password that Harry Houdini gave to his mother was a single word, Glenn, forgive, forgive. And that was, the, I realized, the entire lesson for me writing this book is that all of us in our lives, we have craters that we're in, whether it's addiction, whether it's abuse, whether it's just a loss of a loved one. Um, we have moments where the only way we're going to ever get out and escape, be escape artists ourselves, is if we forgive, and we have to start that forgiveness with ourselves. And I learned it from a guy named Harry Houdini. So before I go on, Harry Houdini, is it true that he was uh, a spy for the United States government, I think under Wilson? Yeah, he was a spy. What he used to do is it wasn't that he went in and, you know, you know what he helped us with was actually smuggling. He was really good at that. He was good at hiding stuff. And then the other thing he was really good at is he used to go to the top foreign leaders' uh, homes. He used to go to the equivalents of the White House and other part in other countries. So he'd report back and say, here's what security's like, here's what happens when you walk in. Do, and that's the great trick of Harry Houdini. He can do, go anywhere. He's the most famous man in the world. Do you know if uh, the story about him with the Tsar and Rasputin is true, where he made the... I've heard that story. I don't know. I, you know what? I, it was one of the ones... I, 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 I don't know if it's true. It's a good story. I remember hearing it. I don't know it as well. Um, but, you know, what I realized when I, when I was writing the book is that, you know, when you think of the idea of a magician being in charge of the Secret Service, that was my jumping off point. And I just thought, how do I not use that today? Um, and so, you know, wh- and one of the things we have to talk about is Dover Air Force Base. Because yeah, so, that's just the, yeah. Right. So I want to get to, I want to get to, hang on just a second. Um, who's in control here? Why did I lose control of this show? No, no, I just uh, want to make sure we, you know, this is the, the, I, no, the I, I know you're going to love that. I can't do with anyone because no one has the appreciation you have for it. So here is the, here is the, the, uh, opening line that I thought you might be referring to. Cause I think this is one of the best opening line, uh, in the prologue. These were the last 32 seconds of her life. No. Um, you, you, and before we get into Dover, this will kind of take you there. Um, you've set up in just the prologue, a, a scenario that I didn't have any idea, uh, was even real. So I started doing some homework and I also read your, uh, your Washington post, uh, article. Um, y- you have this character 
she knows something. The plane is going down. She knows this is no accident. And she's trying to make sure that she survives to tell people this isn't an accident. She jumps out. I want you to talk about that, if that's even real. She jumps out of the plane, hoping that she's going to be able to survive as it's going down. Everybody, everything is on fire. And she, she writes a note, but she wants to make sure that if she dies, the medical examiner finds the note. Tell me how you came up with this. Yeah, this is an incredible story. And built again, it's all fiction. Nola is, my, is the character you're referring to as my favorite uh, character I think I've ever written. And it's because she comes from reality. And first of all, yes, jumping out of the plane when you get to the top of the treetops, that was given to me by Air Force Rangers. And all the things you see, this is a, built, uh, a book built with the help of the military. That's who gave me all this stuff. The military has been incredible. And one of the things that she does in that moment is she eats the sheet of paper. And when I, you know, you know me, when I do a book, I always bring it to the experts. And I said to the medical examiners at Dover Air Force Base, and, uh, and Dover is the place where we, we all know uh, our fallen soldiers go. I didn't know that Dover is also the place that gets the world's biggest cases. So the space shuttle goes down, 9-11 happens, those bodies also go to Dover. And any secret spy around the globe that we're not supposed to know what they're doing when something happens to them, they go to Dover, too. So Dover is a place that's built on secrets and mysteries. So, of course, I had to look into it. And I went there and I said, hang on just a second. It? Hang on just a second. But it is. Yep. Is it mainly the the top of the line forensic uh, and, uh, and 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 mortuary, if you will? Is, that's exactly what's at Dover okay. Air Force Base is, is the Dover Port Mortuary is the place that uh, not only does the medical examining side, but also does the um, mortician side of, of laying our soldiers to rest. So they will, as an example, and they're so incredible there, they will spend 14 hours. You know, if you get at a normal funeral home and you get disfigured, they'll close your coffin, it's a closed casket, and they'll bury you. But at Dover, the families of our heroes, our fallen soldiers, they don't really believe it until they see their son or daughter. So they will spend, the, the people there at Dover, will spend 14 hours uh, redoing and rebuilding the cheekbones of someone's cheek so they can see their child one last time. Let There's me, a true story. Is, is They once built someone's hand, rebuilt the whole hand, because the mother specifically said, I want to hold my son's hand one last time. These are heroes. Let me, uh, let me, from the Washington Post, you wrote, when a soldier's body comes home, morticians can rebuild hands rather than giving them fake prosthesis so that a mother can hold her, hand, uh, her son's hand one final time. They'll spend 14 straight hours wiring together a fallen soldier's shattered jaw, then smoothing it over with clay and makeup, just so his parents can have far more ease than they would than they should have ever expected at their son's funeral. That's right. remarkable. It, it is. It is what inspired the escape artist. I, you know, I've been to the White House. I've been to all the places. I've done all my thrillers set in real spots and shown the secret tunnels below the White House. But when I got to Dover, I was humbled. I was humbled, and I, and I found out about it because I was on a USO tour. I was in the Middle East entertaining our troops. I do USO tours. I just did one recently for them last month, another one. What do you, what I do, love what do, doing what do, them. What do, you, what, what do you do on the tour entertaining the troops? You know, they, bring, they bring six. Uh, I know you're thinking I do like a Dallas Cowboy cheerleader. Thing, I, right? Yeah, I'm just <laughs> thinking, you know, you and something low-cut and lacy is not right, necessarily right. what we should be sending <laughs> well, we over. We need, right. Well, they send, they send six thriller writers every year. 
is what they do. Um, because there are people who love, obviously, sure, sure. you know, the country singers that are out there, and God bless them all. They're wonderful. But there are people who are just readers, yeah. and they just want good thrillers, and that's yeah. what they read. They read our books. So okay. I've been over there for, you know, I love doing the events. It was there that I found out about Dover, and really what they do beyond just taking care of the fallen soldiers, the whole, you know, everything that you've just said. And I was humbled. I was like, I need to write about these people. I need heroes for my new book. The world is starving for heroes right now. We're all starving for heroes. And here's where I saw real heroes. This was the best of the best of us working on our fallen soldiers, the true best and the uh, best of us. Okay, so and, when, so hang on. So when we come back, when we come back, I had to take a quick break. I want you to, yeah. to to take us back into the airplane and the 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 hero that is jumping out of the plane and says, "I need in my autopsy, I need them to find what the truth is and what's just happened on this plane." Uh, we'll get to that because it's. The way you found out this is fascinating in just a second. The book is The Escape Artists. It is out today. Uh, it's available, of course, everywhere books are sold. Brad Meltzer uh, is the author at Brad Meltzer on Twitter and bradmeltzer.com. All right. If you're hiring, you need great people, and there's no better way to find them than uh, through ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter.com slash back. Here's the thing. You can post your job and hope that somebody, you know, really good sees it, but maybe they're going to miss it. Now, ZipRecruiter takes and posts your job at 100 of the biggest job sites uh, all around the uh, country, but they go a step further. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for. It identifies the people with the right experience, and then it goes out and searches for those people and then invites them to apply for your job. And that's it's the invitation process that actually gets your next great hire. Eighty percent of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in the first day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They also spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes and industries to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. Right now, you can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash back. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash back. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. Brad Meltzer, who is one of my favorite people on the planet, um, he's just uh, he's just driven by the same things that I think uh, I'm driven by, and, and many of our listeners are driven by. Uh, he's a great, great writer, uh, and he writes something that I've I've coined faction. Uh, it's it's yes, it's fiction, but it's got so many facts in it that you will spend your time on Google going, wait a minute, is that true? Uh, and it just makes the book for me, it makes the book so much better. The new book, it's out today. The escape artist. It is his best to date. In fact, uh, Harlan Coben said it is not since the girl with the dragon tattoo. Have we seen a character like this? Holy cow, Brad, that's high praise. Um, listen, uh, I, I feel, um, it's not fair to the girl with the dragon tattoo. I'll take that compliment any day. Yeah, right? Right. I mean, I'll take it any day. So let's um, let's talk about uh, this character. Um, it starts off with her writing down stuff that she knows. She's like, this pl- this is not an accident, and they were going to deem it an accident. I know why this plane is going down. 
she takes out a piece of paper and she eats it as she jumps out of the plane. Tell the origin of this. So, again, in a moment that truly blew my mind, when I'm researching a fictional thriller to hear this real-life story, and that is I went to the friends at Dover, people who've worked there in the past, too, and said, you know, if, if I wanted to hide a secret note on the body, on someone's body, could you do it? How would you do it? Because that's how the book opens. The, chapter one is um, you see that Nola winds up being dead in a plane crash, and our hero is laying her to rest. He works at Dover and finds this hidden note inside her body. So I was like, can you actually do it? And they said to me, if you're on a plane and the plane is going down, you could eat the note and the liquids in your stomach would actually protect the paper. And they, they said it was the ultimate message in a bottle is how they described it. And I thought, oh, that's a really cool story. And they said, no, no, it's not a story. It happened. I said, what are you talking about? They said it happened on 9-11. And they told me this true story that on 9-11, when the Pentagon victims on Flight 77 came to Dover, that when they opened one of the bodies, there was a secret note inside one of the victim's stomachs. Now, what do you, I mean, the first question you got to ask, Glenn, you know what it is, right? Yes. What did it say? What did it say? That's all I, I mean, I almost felt, I could tell you where I was standing when he, when he told I bet. it. I mean, It was unbelievable. I can, I will never forget that moment. And in that moment, of course, they wouldn't tell me I respect the privacy of that. But I thought to myself, it must be someone in the military. Who else would have the wherewithal to, in the moment when a plane is going down and you're, you know, trapped by terrorists, to actually leave a final note in, you know, this ultimate message in a bottle? And then I realized that as I look at that note, I think that the person writing it was doing and searching for what we all search for every day, connection. Right? That's all we need is we want to love and we want to be loved. And I can tell you, Glenn, that when my parents both died, the one moment of solace that I took in that, in that true chaos was I got to say goodbye to them. My mom died of breast cancer, my dad of heart disease, and I knew that it was coming. So thank God I got to say goodbye to them. And that's why I take hope from that note, because what that person was doing when they wrote that note and what that note did was exactly what it was designed to do. It was proof that when we reach out in the universe, when we put out that message in a bottle, that we will be heard. And And that inspires me. And it was delivered to the person it was meant for, correct? Uh, You know, they would not say for sure, but I'll just say to you, I got that feeling that that note made its home. Okay, you said it to me and, you know, just a few million people, too. So I just want to remind you of that uh, (laughs) when you're sharing secrets with me. (laughs) Back in a minute. Back. Mercury. This is the Glenn Beck Program. We're talking to uh, Brad Meltzer. He is the host of uh, Lost History on uh, H2 History Channel. Um, Decoded, um, his, uh, uh, his show Decoded also on the History Channel. Hollywood Reporter just put him on their list of Hollywood's 25 most powerful authors. Holy cow. Is that a good thing for you or a bad thing for you? I don't think they understand <laughs> what powerful means in Hollywood. <laughs> I don't think so either. Um, <laughs> we knew there were errors out there, but this was a, a, a just, you know, a kind of a, a obscene one. Have you, um, uh, has any of your movie or your books been made into movies yet? 
you know, they bought the rights, but um, no, they haven't. We, you know, they've written scripts. The best one was, Glenn, is you, you'll appreciate this. Is they, they, I, one of the books was all about uh, gambling on Congress that I did a number of years ago. And they hired this screenwriter who, like, you know, was nominated for an Oscar, and they paid him obscene amounts of money. And then he called me up, and he said, so, and he was a British guy, and he said, so you have a two-party system of government? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, it's All perfect. Right. Good, Thank you. It's good. Perfect. And you're good a writer, Oscars. too. That's good. Yeah, That's good. Fantastic. Um, so, Brad, I have used you in the past as a, a sounding board on on things. I'll, you know, I've called you up from time to time over the years and said, so, Brad, how would this work if this were going on? Or what does this make sense? Uh, truth is stranger than fiction because truth has to make sense. Life has to make sense. Can you make sense out of our world today? Uh, that's all I'm trying to do every day. Um, and, I, you know, I have to believe, you know, and, and you and I, our bond has always been about history. And I truly believe that history always tells us in a strange, odd way the future, even though it's the past. And the one thing that I do believe, as I look at the world we live in right now, is that after the darkness must come the light. And it takes the people who are acknowledge and will push into that light to get there. Um, you know, I, it always goes back to me to Dr. King. And Dr. King, when he was a little boy, he had this, uh, he obviously is African-American, he's black, one of his best friends was white, and the little white boy refuses to play with him anymore because his father doesn't want him going to the same school, doesn't want him playing together. And Dr. King, as a boy, says he hated that boy. He just hated him for everything he was doing, for what he stood for, they didn't stand up for that, all these things. And he came home to his parents all ready to hate him. And his mom gave him the best lesson in life and said that when someone shows you hate, you show them love and that that's what you have to do. And to me, I, it's so hard, right? So much makes us so angry today. So much seems like so much chaos, but I have to believe and use that as the lesson that when you go through the darkness, you can get to the light. And, uh, and that's the only thing I can push to. How much do you, how much of that do you, how much of that is wishful thinking? And I mean, and listen, oh, it's, but listen, it's, it's, it's my dream and it's my hope. It's my faith. And, and it's, you know, and it, and it is absolutely wishful thinking, you know, cause there are days I'm so angry and I'm so mad. And I see, you know, uh, one of the things, and you've I've talked about this with our kids books is in the last year, as the presidential election approached, two books of ours took off and are still selling like crazy. I am Martin Luther King Jr. Mm-hmm. And I am George Washington and like crazy. And I know why. It's not a Democrat or even Republican thing. It's that people are so tired of putting on the TV and seeing politicians on what they want to show their kids are leaders. Mm-hmm. We know there's a giant difference between a politician and a leader. Every single person knows that that's listening here. And we got to do better at, at being leaders. And I think the sad part is right now um, is that we just have to take that lesson on ourselves. We have to be our own leaders. And that that's a hard one. Let me ask you this. Um, you know, there's a um, I, I find it interesting that in American culture, the Marvel comics, uh, Captain America, Superman, uh, all of these things took off during World War Two. Uh-huh. And and it it happened, I believe, because when you saw evil on such a grand scale, you didn't know what to do the average person just didn't know what to do didn't know how to process it didn't know how to help um and we needed a superhero 
And I do, I mean, you know, Hollywood will no, tell you're exactly right. Ho- I mean, Hollywood will tell us that now that this is just because they're looking for series. I think the Marvel resurgence at this time is more than just the movies saying, you know, we can make these better. It's it's really oh, you've never been more correct. Let's look at it historically. I can show you my my senior paper in college was about superheroes as propaganda in World War Two. And when I looked at it, if you look back uh at the history of heroes. You know who the biggest heroes were during the Great Depression? They were Tarzan and they were Flash Gordon. They were characters designed to transport you elsewhere. They were escapist because the Depression was exactly that, depressing. So no one wanted to be here. They wanted to be in the 25th century. They wanted to be in the jungle. And as World War II started encroaching on our shores in 1938-39, this character takes off like nobody's ever seen before, named Superman. And why? Because we're a country that was scared, and we needed a hero to come save us. And here was this bulletproof man named Superman, who suddenly out of nowhere, as World War II's hitting, suddenly starts sells a million copies. And if you look historically, right when 9-11 happened, if you look at, everyone said there'll be no irony again, there'll be no humor again, we were a country lost and scared again. Mm-hmm. If you look at the first movie that broke through the public consciousness at the time, it was Spider-Man. It was, we weren't a country of Superman anymore. We weren't invulnerable, but we were Spider-Man. We were, we, were, we were, you know, nervous and we were scared like Spider-Man is, but fighting like no one's ever fought before. We're still the best country for that. No one fights like we do. And here came Spider-Man. And for the past, as you've seen, 15 years is the resurgence of all these heroes. It's not because people want a series. It's because we are starving for heroes right now. We are searching for heroes right now. That is why even the bad superhero movies make $100 million, because we don't see our heroes on TV anymore. We don't see them in Congress. We don't see them in government. We don't see them in the White House. We don't see them anywhere on any side of the party for a while, for so long now. And the result is we're gonna, we're gonna, we need heroes. That's the country, we're a country founded by heroes, founded on our legends and myths. And we will find them when we need them. And it's why, to me, like, listen, when I went to the Dover people, the reason, you know me, I write a book every two years, right? That's what it does. This took me three years to write The Escape Artist because I was so blown away by the real heroes I saw at Dover, the real heroes I saw in the USO, the real heroes I saw in the military, that I was like, I need to do this justice. And I found this other hero. I I mean, this is a great one. I didn't know that since World War I, the U.S. Army has had an actual painter on staff, who has been there since World War I, and they race in to paint what happens, whether it's the beaches in Normandy, whether it's Vietnam, whether it's uh, 9-11. They were there on 9-11, too. And I was getting a tour of this museum. They had paintings of Hitler by Adolf Hitler. They had paintings of these top military people. I said, why do you have all this art? They said, these are done by our war artists. I said, you're telling me that while everyone else is racing into a disaster with guns, that you have someone on staff who's racing in with nothing but paintbrushes in their pockets? I said, that's the craziest job I've ever heard. That's a hero. I want to meet him. And they said to me, you mean her. You want to meet her. And that's where Nola, the hero and the escape artist, came from. And I was just blown away that there was this hidden hero in the military that has been documenting everything we've been doing since World War I, Glenn. And we knew nothing about her. We knew nothing about him. It's been a, a male for so many years, you know, recently a woman. And I just said, I have to build this character for the escape artist around it because I need to give people heroes again. Ones we can actually believe in, not politicians, but the regular men and women who are serving us every single day. Those are our heroes. 
couldn't agree with you uh, more. It's hard to find um, real heroes because when you do find them, uh, you know, you you have to recognize that they're people, too. So they're they're flawed as well. And everybody seemingly just wants to tear everybody apart. Can I ask you, um, you know, the one thing that we're not talking about, uh, we're talking to Brad uh, Meltzer. He is the author of the book, The Escape Artist. It's a thriller. It came out today. His best work uh, to date, if you're a fan of Brad, get this one. Um, uh, I downloaded it midnight last night. Um, Brad, the the situation that we're having, and I don't want to get into politics, um, but the situation that we have with guns right now, we are blaming now uh, the guns. And, and I made a list of this, um, of the things that we've assigned blame to. Over the years, we've blamed politicians, we blamed Wall Street, we blamed uh, uh, the government, corporations, globalism, the media, Islam, Christians, the Jews, capitalism, socialism, education, the doctors, the hospitals, the insurance companies. And we're down to guns. Um, one thing that's not on the list is us. Oh, you couldn't agree more. So let's look historically at that. I've studied... Um, over the years, I went to the Secret Service to study presidential assassins. I wanted to know, the people that actually kill people, tell me about them. Don't tell me about all the stuff. Tell me about the people, us, right? Let's, let's take a hard look at ourselves. And I live not far from where Parkland is. This is right in our backyard. I live in Florida. And you know what the Secret Service told me? Is there are two types of people that hunt presidents. There are hunters and there are howlers. And what a howler does is someone who makes noise and says, I'm going to go kill the president, I'm going to go do something, make a lot of noise, make a lot of threats. They never do anything. They howl. They make noise. They do nothing. They said, what you worry about are not the howlers, you worry about the hunters. And the hunters say nothing. And the hunters don't tip you off. And the hunters never tell you they're coming. And the hunters who you have to look out for. But what I looked at when I was examining them is the people and what they have in common who have gone after presidents successfully is they all tend to be young they all are pretty quiet. They're all actually neat, oddly. They don't do drugs. They don't, it's not alcohol. Um, and obviously have some level of kind of mental illness that's out there. But I think you're exactly right, is we love to blame everything except that person in the mirror. And it's why I started this beautiful conversation. One of my favorites we've had, Glenn, over the years is that with that single word that Houdini left for his mother, forgive. And the person we have to kind of forgive and start with is ourselves. There's nothing wrong with looking at yourself and saying, let's start here. The only way, you know, Gandhi teaches us, the only way you change the world is you start with yourself. He says, I'm not perfect. He loses his temper too. Is Gandhi lost his temper. Mm -hmm. And he says, the only way you change the world is you start with yourself. If we this, all just, you know, that we, we can't change the world by yelling at people on Facebook. This book is changing anybody. This book has changed you, hasn't it? It, you know, um, you know me a long time. Mm -hmm. You know me from the start of my career. This is my 20 year anniversary. And when I started this book, I can't help but get nostalgic um, because I'm someone who loves history. How could I not? And I looked back at my own career and I said to myself, what's my high point? Where are the books that I did my best work? And I looked back and I realized it was the books that had the best characters, characters I cared about that I rooted for them. Yeah. And I realized I started writing so much about politicians that I wasn't rooting for them. And I just said, you know what? It's going to take me an extra year. But I found these people through the USO at Dover. I found these heroes in the military who are our artists and residents and our war artists. I found even Harry Houdini, and I built the escape artist because I was like, I need to do that. Because I think that all of us 
and you have this too, we all have a legacy in our lives. And your legacy is, you know, you have your family and you have your friends, but the leg, you know, it's not your job title that's your legacy. No one, when you die, it's the last time your resume is ever going to be mentioned. Your job title fades with you. But you, the things you do for other people, that's what lasts and that's what endures. And it's your family and it's your friends that you help. You have a very special one, Glenn. You have the two other categories, which is your community. And, right, there are people out there in your community that are just changed by the conversation you have, the hope you give them. But the last one's the most important, I think, for all of us. And it's the impact we all have on complete and utter strangers. And for some of us, it happens, you know, you, you give money to a breast cancer walk or you're doing, a, you know, you go to your church or your synagogue, you bring canned goods for the food drive. But there are people out there, you're never going to meet them, Glenn. They're never going to meet you. But things you've donated to, causes you've donated to, I know for so many years, you'll never meet each other, but you're forever part of each other's legacy. And as I looked at Dover and as I looked at these heroes, I, I saw it. I was like, you know, here we are. We all support the military. We all love it. But these people that are doing the real work are strangers to us. They change our lives. And I just, this book changed me and really made me take a hard look and realize that the legacy isn't just, you know, family and friends and what's, you know, right in front of us, but the world is far bigger. And I hope uh, that 20 years in, I'm still trying to learn something, still trying to learn. I have the opportunity to talk to an awful lot of people. um, And uh, Brad, you are my favorite guest to have on the air. I just love having you on the air. You're a good, decent man. Uh, you're uh, you're everywhere, doing everything all the time. You put me to shame on on hardworking, uh, and you are unbelievably gifted at writing. Brad Meltzer. The name of the book is The Escape Artist. It's a thriller. It is available everywhere now. Thanks, Brad. Thank you. What a day this is. I mean, coming up next, Dave Rubin. An hour with Dave Rubin. If you don't know who Dave is, you need to know who Dave is. Um, He's fascinating himself. Uh, He's a guy who used to work for the Young Turks. He was a a liberal Democrat progressive. And uh, not anymore. Wait till you meet Dave Rubin coming up. Paying off debt can take forever, and it piles up super fast, but it doesn't have to be this way. If you own a home and you have some equity, refinancing to consolidate and pay off debt can make life a lot easier. But is it the right choice for your situation? Great way to tell is by making a 10-minute call to the salary-based mortgage consultants at American Financing. These guys have access to every loan in the industry and will only offer refi options if they make sense to your financial goals. Now, maybe it's cashing out and paying off that uh, high-interest debt, or maybe it's realizing you're still paying a few hundred dollars on unnecessary PMI because you've reached the threshold for removal. Whatever the case, American Financing can review your current mortgage and look for options that will lower your monthly payments to help you achieve a better financial status. It is American Financing. I want you to call them now at 800-906-2440. If you're looking to refi, to get a new mortgage, to consolidate debt, these are the people you can trust. American Financing at 800-906-2440. AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing Corporation, NMLS 182334, Glenn Beck Mercury Glenn Beck I mean he's just I've never seen anybody 
I mean, he just keeps going. An amazing conversation next with a guy, if you don't know, you need to know him, Dave Rubin. Next. Glenn Beck. Mercury. Love. Courage. Truth. Glenn Beck. So people ask me all the time, uh, how do we fix it, Glenn? How do we fix it? The answer is becoming more and more clear every day, more and more obvious. Um, Fix reason firmly in her seat and question with boldness, even the very existence of God, for if there be a God, he must surely rather honest questioning over blindfolded fear. That's what Thomas Jefferson wrote to his nephew, Peter Carr. And it is what we're lacking now. You can't ask an honest question. When is the last time you heard an honest question? You know, um, Nunberg on television last night. Those weren't honest questions to him. That was a show. They had an agenda. He had an agenda. And it served the same purpose. So they got together. But there were no honest questions there. Honest questions make us uncomfortable. Because an honest question is asked And you have the ability to say, huh, I never thought of it that way. I don't know. That may change my opinion. And no one is willing to change opinions. No one is willing to lose. No one is willing to look weak. We have to destroy the other side. No, we don't. We have to find the truth. But how many of us? are really on the mission of truth because we all feel we're under attack. And when you're under attack, it's human nature to board everything up, pull up the drawbridge and hunker down. And that's where we are. That will lead to disaster. There is a, a, a renaissance going on now, a renaissance of the enlightenment And it's not happening in the Capitol. It's not happening in the media centers. It's happening online. And it's happening with very brave people. And I want to introduce you to one of them. A guy who used to be a progressive. A guy who used to be uh, a a liberal. I think a classic liberal. But that's not understood in America. And realized, wait a minute, I I thought think progressive doesn't mean what i think it means i think as he said in his prager university video it's become regressive because they're silencing speech i was on his show about a year ago and was really fascinated by him i i was a little worried uh when i first went in because i thought okay this guy was on the young turks and i'm sure he may have felt the same way about me i hope he doesn't feel that way today as he joins us uh, for the first time on the program for a, an uh, an hour long interview it's dave rubin hello dave how are you glad it's good to be with you and and thank you for possibly the the kindest intro that i've ever received i'm i'm sending that one right to my mom <laughs> So, uh, so Dave, um, I am I am more and more impressed with you uh, every day. There is there is something that is happening, uh, and it's it's really kind of underground at this point. Um, it is let's have discussions with people we don't agree with, 
and see if we can find some common ground. That's pretty yeah. risky. You know, it's funny. I mean, I guess in crazy times like we live in right now, that's risky. That being said, it seemed very obvious to me from the beginning when I started doing this show. Something was so wrong, and everyone kind of has known it for a while. I think right now, and it's partly what you alluded to in the intro there, now it's becoming painfully obvious that something is wrong in the system, that everything seems to be breaking down at once, meaning our political system, our media system, even the sports world, that this sort of leftist, postmodern, cultural Marxist, whatever you want to call it, that this set of collectivist ideas has now infiltrated everything, including even the YouTube algorithm, to the point where everyone is constantly at each other's throats. And if you watch CNN, and you're, you're completely right about what happened last night, and actually, I'll tell you this, so Nunberg goes on there. I, I was in the middle of, I'm doing three shows today, so I was doing prep for for three shows, and I, and I never watch CNN anymore because it is not news. It is noise. I mean, that is simply the truth. And once you really start understanding that and really start understanding that you have to figure out how to get your news elsewhere or at least from many different sources so that you can cobble together what's true because most of these organizations, these people are not journalists, they're activists. When you really understand that, it, it, it gives you a real sense of clarity. But I noticed as I was prepping for my shows, and I had Twitter open, and I saw all these people piling on what was happening with Nunberg last night. And, I, and immediately I thought, I'm not going to turn it on. That nothing good, will, it won't be good for me. Whatever is happening is not good for the country. Yes, I'll read something tomorrow. And, and you know, if it, if it really burns and becomes something hugely important culturally and politically, yes, of course, I'll pay attention to it. But this endless need for, you know, to find somebody to destroy somebody, to move on to the next one. I mean, we're, we're becoming like parasites in a way. You know, people open up Twitter. You know, Twitter is the, the, the one of these, of all the social media networks that, that gets everybody the craziest. And there's a couple reasons for that. It's the easiest to amplify messages. You know, most of the media people are on there, et cetera, et cetera. But it's almost like we're becoming parasites. We, we find someone in the, you wake up in the morning, you look on Twitter, you find someone who you've never heard of, who said something that you slightly disagree with. And next thing you know, you're trying to get them fired from their job, even though they live 3,000 miles away. So almost everything is wrong right now. And because of that, I think a few of us have seen it. I think a few of us saw it coming for quite some time. And that was the sort of, reason why I decided to do this show, which ironically, you know, now it's like I walk down the street and all these people come up to me and they say how groundbreaking it is and it's so incredible and all this stuff. That's like, wow, all I'm doing truly is sitting across from someone, whether I agree with them or disagree with them and, and listening to them and, and talking it out with them and often disagreeing on things, but doing it respectfully. And that shouldn't be rocket science. And yet mm -hmm. here we are. So it's, it's quite bizarre. Tell me a little bit for for people who don't listen to the or watch the Rubin Report um, online, which you should. Great podcast, um, uh, and I want to get into some of the podcasts that you have done recently. Um, but sure, um, if, for somebody who doesn't know you, Dave, um, explain your 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 awakening, or how would you describe what's happened to you? Yeah, well, I was a liberal my whole life. I, I come from uh, New York. Uh, my family. 
wasn't involved in politics per se, but was always arguing about politics. My extended family, I mean, big, you know, dinners, meals, holidays, everyone arguing about everything. And and at the end of the meal, then we'd all kind of get over it and move on. And I remember even being, you know, 11 and 12 and, and I'm wanting to sit at the adults table because that's what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was great. You know, sometimes I'd be arguing, but sometimes, you know, just sitting there as a kid, like, what, what's going on here? Um, but I grew up as a liberal, as a Democrat. My parents were both Democrats. Um, most of my aunts and uncles, Democrats. I think my grandparents were Democrats. Um, but. I remember specifically, I, I was born in 1976, so I'm 41 years old. Uh, I was born in the Bicentennial. And in 1988 or 87, during the George H.W. Bush, Michael Dukakis election, I remember there was a moment we were doing a, a mock election in the class. And I was, I think I was Dukakis's campaign manager or something like that. I was working on, you know, working on the campaign. Sure. And I remember in the, real, in the real election, I remember there was a moment where um, George H.W. Bush had called Dukakis a liberal. And then for a week, everybody was talking about how Dukakis was running away from the word liberal as if it was bad. And I couldn't understand that. That made no sense to me. I thought liberals were the good guys. Liberals care about poor people. Liberals care about minorities. Liberals, uh, you know, generally seem to be nicer and more caring and all of this stuff. And so that I ran with that. And I was a political, I went to Binghamton University, which is a state school in New York. I was a political science major. Um, and I was I always considered myself left and liberal. And then in these last 10 years or so, you know, the progressives sort of took over the liberal movement. So meaning, you know, there used to be there used to be classical liberals, as you alluded to yes. earlier. So just just three very quickly. I always I always mention these three because one was a mayor, one was a senator, one was president. You have JFK, who was a president. He was a classical liberal. And we can get into all of the reasons that. Uh, I like to reference uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan because I'm from New York and I remember how much I, I loved him. He was a senator in New York. And I would say Ed Koch as a mayor was a was a Democrat. Uh, you know, he was a, he was on the left, but he was basically a sane uh, Democrat. Mm-hmm. So there you have a, pre- a president and, and a senator and a mayor. And basically, in, in a sense, the difference right now between sort of classical liberals and, and progressives is progressives find. And I know you know this, but progressives find that the state is the answer to everything. More government is the answer is the answer to everything, which is ironic because they'll also tell you that the state is the most evil thing yes. possible. So while they're so they'll tell you right, you know, even right now even right now with the gun debate, you know, they'll on one hand they're telling you Trump is evil and, and a dictator. And all of these, right, <laughs> right. And a dictator, right. And wants to be a dictator and all of those things. Right. And then and then their their answer is to take your gun. Right. So there's an incredible right. So there's an incredible flaw in the logic there. But but to answer your original question what really woke me up. So then I did stand up comedy for many years in New York. Uh, I had a show on Sirius XM for a while, but what sort of got me really into the political world was I joined the young Turks. And at the time I, even though I felt that they were a little more left than me generally, I felt it was basically a good fit. Um, and then I was there for about a year and there were, there were, you know, little disagreements here and there, but you know, that I'm, I'm not above disagreement and I certainly don't let that affect relationships, um, the, the wake of the final, the sort of real awakening, there were a couple things, but the real awakening uh, was the night that Sam Harris, who's a, a neuroscientist that, who I know you're aware of, uh, he was on a real time with Bill Maher to discuss uh, religion. And ironically, he was actually promoting a book called Waking Up, which was uh, the subtitle is A Guide to Spirituality Without Religion. So it was really about finding inner peace. Uh, he gets on there, they end up talking about Islam, 
sort of the reverse of inner peace. And, and Ben Affleck basically calls Bill Maher and Sam Harris gross and racist. Hang on just a second. And, I have that. Yeah. I have that audio. I want to play that in oh, case. Okay. Let's here's that, yeah. here's that audio. Every criticism of the doctrine of Islam this gets is Sam inflated Harris. with bigotry toward Muslims as people. Right. And that is uh, it's, it's intellectually ridiculous. So even it gets so hold on. Are you the person who understands the officially codified doctrine Affleck. of Islam? You're uh, the interpreter well, of that, well, so you well, can say, well, I, this I'm, is... I'm, I'm, I think actually, any, I'm actually well-educated well, on this topic. I'm, yeah. I'm asking you. So I mean, you're you, saying, if I criticize, the, you're saying that Islamophobia is not a real thing. That if you're critical of something... It, well, it's not a real thing when we do it. Right. <laughs> well, well, no, it no, really no, isn't. I, I'm not denying that, that certain people are bigoted against Muslims as people. That's, right. And that's a that's problem. big of you. But the... Mm. But why we are you have, so hostile about this It's gross. It's racist. It's not. But it's so nuts. It's like saying those statements shifty Jew. You're not listening to what we are saying. You guys are saying, if you want to be liberals, believe in liberal principles. Like freedom of speech. Like, you know, we are endowed by our forefathers with an inalienable aspect. All men are created No, Ben, we have to be able to criticize bad ideas. Of course we do. No liberal doesn't want to criticize bad ideas. But Islam at this moment is the mother load of bad ideas. Jesus. So we have... That's just a like, fact. Like that's, not, that's, that's re- Ben Affleck is remarkable on multiple levels on this. So <laughs> you so much there. Yeah, there is. So I'm glad I'm glad you played that actually. So I do want to clarify one thing because I had Sam on my show about a year later when I eventually relaunched the show as an interview show, and Sam did backtrack one thing there where he said the mother load. He's actually edited that. He said, I should have said a mother load. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that he, he does believe that the set of ideas, which are Islam, are a bad set of ideas. He didn't mean to imply that they are the worst set of ideas, yes. period. Yes. There are plenty of others. <laughs> so I think that it's an important distinction because, yeah. you know, Glenn, anytime any of us, we misplace one word or we, I know. we pause in the wrong spot, you I know. Know, they, they come after us. So I'm, I'm happy to do Sam the favor on that. But what I think is so interesting about that moment was that what Sam was talking about is the difference between ideas and people. Mm -hmm. So if there was a political party that wanted women uh, to wear, you know, to cover their head or cover their whole body or put them in beekeeper costumes, as Bill Maher (laughs) says, if there was a political party that wanted that, if there was a political party that wanted the state to have all of the power, that said that stoning women was okay and throwing gays off roofs was okay and all those things, the less the progressives would be apoplectic and rightfully so they would be completely against that but because in this sense it's couched in a religion which is thought of a brown person's religion which that in of, in of itself is actually racist mm-hmm. because anyone can be part of any religion and of course there's white muslims and asian muslims and all sorts of other things um just like there are black jews and <laughs> black right. christians and, and everything else um, but you have to be able to criticize any set of ideas. And especially because it, Islam is a particularly unique case because it's also, it's also political in a way that Christianity and, and Judaism aren't. But, but without getting too deep into that, basically I saw that moment. And then it was really, I was watching it live. I didn't know who Sam was actually at the time. And the next day I suddenly saw everyone online claiming that Sam Harris and Bill Maher were racist. Now, Bill, although I have a little bit more of a disagreement with him these days because I'm, I'm definitely more libertarian than I used yeah. to be, Bill, Bill, whether you like him or not, no one in their right mind thinks that Bill Maher is a racist. I mean, Bill Maher has fought for every lefty cause of all time. He's con- you know, he puts tons of minorities on his show. I know he dates minority women. I mean, all of this stuff. But no one thinks that the man's a racist. But everybody, just because a Hollywood celebrity said something, 
in a in a hysterical manner. And Affleck was ready to fight. And you can oh, yeah. hear it in yeah. the tone. Um, but because of all of that, suddenly the onus was on this this neuroscientist who came on a show to talk inner peace. And Bill Maher, the standard bearer of the left, at least in terms of the media in America for the last 20 some odd years, were on the defensive to prove they weren't racist. And my boss at the time, Jan Huger from the Young Turks, was one of the was one of the serial uh, slanderers of both of them. They brought Sam in for a three hour interview. Which thirty seconds. Absolute... Oh, you're going to play it. You can. Play no, it no, no. Thirty. Yeah, I have absolute... thirty seconds before I have to break. Oh, okay, Go thirty ahead. seconds. All right, okay. Uh, which was an absolute disaster. And then subsequently, once I saw the way the left reacted to truth, to truth, as you started this whole thing by saying. Uh, that was when it all started crumbling. And once it starts crumbling, it's a house of cards. You you will try for a while to maintain it, but it cannot maintain under its own weight. Dave Rubin from the Rubin Report. We continue in just a second. A fascinating guy and on the cutting edge of change and lighting the sparks of the Enlightenment once again in America. Our conversation continues in a minute. When emergency strikes, your first impulse might be to run or, you know, there's another storm coming in the Northeast. And I can guarantee you, Stu, what are they doing right now? What are people doing right now? That storm is coming. Panicking, going in, clearing out the shelves of the stores. (laughs) You're walking into grocery stores that are empty. Mm Mm-hmm. Here's what you do. You make a plan. You get prepared. One practical way to start is storing up food. And my Patriot Supply is the they're the people that have been helping me for a long, long time. And they can help you right now. Here's their special this week. Each person in your household should have an essential two week emergency food supply from my Patriot Supply. It's only sixty seven dollars. That's two weeks of food, breakfast, lunch and dinner for one person in your home. Do it for everybody in your home and you're prepared. You don't have to worry about the storm or anything else that might happen. Take action right now. It's good this week only. 800-200-9031 or preparewithglenn.com. Preparewithglenn.com. 800-200-9031. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. I'm talking to Dave Rubin from the Rubin Report. Uh, Dave, about four years ago, I went and I I called for a meeting with the leaders of GLAAD in New York. People who, you know, not going to make my audience happy and and I'm not going to I'm not going to make their people happy. And I said, look, can we just can we stop fighting about cakes for a minute and and let's talk about the killing of Jews in in the Middle East. They wanted nothing to do with it. Uh, and I said, let's just find a way to come together on both sides and stop this. Uh, it's a it's a common threat. Uh, and uh, they wouldn't hear it. Now, the left will not distance themselves from Louis Farrakhan. Are they eating yeah. themselves? Is this is this going to destroy the left in the end? Oh, it absolutely will. And that's why, in an interesting way, most of us that are, you know, basically for freedom, basically for liberty, basically for being governed as the Constitution lays out, we don't have to move that much right now. And I argue we shouldn't be moving. Stay true to our principles right now as as both sides go bananas. I think more and more people are going to flock to us. And I think that, you know, my success in the last couple of years is, is really proof of that. Yeah. I can tell you, you know, on the GLAAD front, my, uh, my show on Sirius XM was on the LGBT channel. 
And basically, I wanted to be on the political channel, but they were like, "Ah, yeah. you're gay. You go to the go to the <laughs> go to the gay go to the gay channel and talk about pop culture." And it really wasn't what I wanted to do. I don't begrudge them any decision, you know, and it, it all worked out. Uh, but because of that, I, I would often go to these glad events and I'd go to a lot of this kind of stuff. It was mostly it wasn't even they weren't even promoting uh, gay people. They were promoting they were promoting all lefties. But really what they were promoting were like real housewives and just sort of worse sort of Bravo celebrity mm. nonsense. Um, but yes, what what they have become, what many of these organizations have become, I think even the ADL, unfortunately, yeah. they've become leftist organizations. They're not do they're not really fighting. So- for, for gay people or the ADL isn't really fighting for Jewish people. They're fighting for progressive causes. And more, of that, more in a second with Dave Rubin from the Rubin Report. Glenn Beck Mercury. The guy who makes me really feel optimistic about the future is uh, Dave Rubin from the Rubin Report. Um, Listen to his podcast. Watch his podcast. He has really interesting conversations with people who you may disagree with. And the point is, we we should hear these conversations. We need to be uh, feel a a little uncomfortable. We need to stretch. Um, We can't just live in this bottle where we only hear our our own ideas. Um, Dave, the things are changing and they're changing rapidly on both sides where uh, people really only want to hear their own sides. Um, YouTube is now talking about banning uh, people. And, you know, I think the Young Turks and Code Pink and Color of Change and Alex Jones should be able to be on YouTube. Doesn't mean that I mm-hmm. endorse them, but they should be able to be there. There needs to be a platform to be heard. But we live in a society now where um, ideas are frightening and and ideas don't frighten me and nor do people with other ideas frighten me what frightens me are those people who believe only their ideas have value and should be heard yeah i mean that's it right there i mean even uh, you may have seen this last night christina hoff summers who's a feminist the true feminist in the in the right way that one should be a feminist for equality of opportunity not equality of outcome uh, she spoke at portland state university last night and Antifa was screaming to shut her down. The head of the diversity something or other, you know, all these schools have these diversity uh, groups, which usually are actually have no diversity of thought. Yeah. Uh, they care about the color. They care about the color of your skin, which is actually the reverse of what Martin Luther King wanted. Um, you know, they're shouting her down. They were playing music loudly during her speech. They were asking her to get, you know, demanding actually that she get off stage. Uh, this, this is a woman who's not controversial by, you know, she's controversial controversial because she's making some sense. Um, so it, it is incumbent. You know, I said at the beginning, my first direct message, I do a little uh, five or eight minute spiel at the beginning of each show. My first one of 2018 was my prediction was that this is going to be the year of unusual alliances. And I think we're seeing a lot of that already. Yeah. So for, for example, in this crew of people that you've referenced here, uh, what Eric Weinstein calls the intellectual dark web, where there's there's he and his brother, uh, Brett, who was a, a biology professor, a lefty his whole life at Evergreen State University, one of the most left 
universities in the entire country. Oh, it, it uh, makes the guy was, it makes yeah. the rest of Seattle. If, 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 if we're talking evergreen up in, in Seattle, right? Makes the left yeah, of yeah, yeah. left of Seattle look like Salt Lake City or Provo, Utah. <laughs> I mean, exactly. You're not you're not being sarcastic. I mean, it really, no. it, it, they say it is possibly the most progressive university on, in the country. So you'd think by default, if they're if they're if head of progressive lefty ideas, if this is the right set of ideas. You'd think that schools where these ideas are implemented would be the most tolerant, lovely, diverse, welcoming places. But they are the complete reverse because of the obsession with immutable characteristics instead of what your ideas are. So this crew of people, whether it's the, the Weinstein brothers or Sam Harris or Ben Shapiro, or I include you in this uh, and, and many others. And it's, by the way, it's not for me to define who's in this, but there's just an interesting yeah. Uh, truly diverse group of people that are in this, all we're doing is basically standing here and saying, we will have the discussions. So the reason I called this the year of interesting alliances, unusual alliances, is because if you took two guys like Sam Harris and Ben Shapiro right now, I know, I know you know Ben well. Yeah. So Ben is a, cons- ben is a conservative, and he, you know, he can pretty much tick down the line of what conservative values are. Sam is a lefty and can pretty much tick down the line of, of what lefty or, you know, liberal in, in that, in the progressive sense values are. The only thing that Sam gets in trouble with, with the left really is, is talking about Islam, which for some reason in their oppression Olympics, they put at the apex of it, which I have some theories on that if you want to go into it. But basically my point is that Sam from the left and Ben from the right are in, comp- they're allies now yes, because they're defending each other's right yes. to freely express their ideas. So they're on stage together. I was at an event in San Francisco where the two of them were on stage uh, with Eric Weinstein, actually. And the, uh, Ben got basically a, a, a huge, tremendous ovation from Sam's crowd who should disagree with him on virtually everything. I'm talking from the existence of God and the, the value of religion all the way through to abortion and taxes and every other political issue we can think of. But people are realizing those are not the issues. There's one issue that matters right now. And the issue that matters is, will you truly stand for freedom? Does this country, yes. does, do, do the values of this yes. country, what we were founded on, the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and the other stuff that's in the Bill of Rights that's pretty damn great, uh, do these things actually matter anymore or do they not? And if you believe that they do and you will defend people who who won't defend you. So, for example, Linda Sarsour, who I think is a, a true vile, I think she's an anti-Semite, and I think she's anti-American and all this stuff. When, when CUNY, the City University of New York, invited her as the uh, commencement speaker, I would have preferred that they not invite her because I don't think her set of ideas is worth listening to and worth platforming. However, they did invite her. And then I publicly defended. I said, look, you can't deplatform if they've been invited. Uh, it, trust me, it was not a pleasure for me to do that. I, I mean, I think this woman's a true threat to our democracy because her ideas are now embedded in the Women's March, which now Farrakhan's ideas are embedded. And that's not far from being embedded into the, the Democratic platform altogether. So if you will stand for the basic set of ideas that I know that you care about, that the founders and Thomas Jefferson, who you referenced right at the beginning of this, uh, that he wrote about and, and cared about, if you will stand for those ideas, you will find allies everywhere. Um, but if you don't stand for if you don't stand for those ideas, you're only going to find enemies because then your ideology is based in finding enemies. So that that's the challenge for all of us right now. Dave, um, you are probably one of the few people um, that are as passionate about A.I. and future tech uh, mm-hmm. as I am. And when I hear people talk about A.I., um, my skin crawls because they 
they either don't see what is coming, um, mm-hmm. what is possible on the good and possible on the bad. Um, they think AI is about, you know, a fight against robots. It's it's really a fight uh, against goals to make sure that the goals of AI line up with human goals and freedom mm-hmm. goals. Um, there was a, a, a ad that was just put out by the ADL about how they're now using AI and, uh, and, uh, machine learning to root out hate speech on the, on the internet. And they said, and it finds 86% of the time it's hate speech. Well, wait, what, um, what are we heading for? Yeah, well, first off, as you know, you know, the Supreme Court has said there is no such thing as hate speech. You can't, you know, if you libel or slander somebody, there's legal action that they can take. If you have a direct call for violence or you, you know, scream fire in a crowded theater. okay, that this is not. But that's but hate speech in that you you are allowed to say bad things about people. You are allowed to be racist. It kind of sucky. I wish the world was a nicer place. Uh, but if we're going to live in, a, in an open society, you are allowed to say bad things. So the phrase hate speech is already a loaded, uh, loaded term. It's sort of like the phrase Islamophobia. A, a phobia is an irrational fear. Everywhere that the set of ideas of Islam spread is bad for everyone, by the way, including Muslim people. If you're a woman living under Islam, bad. If you're a gay person or, or a Christian or a Jew or any other religious minority, bad. So that is not an irrational fear. But this is just another way that they... They twist and contort language. As far as AI, th- this is a massive problem. I'm, I'm a big sci-fi guy, uh, so most of the movies that I love are sort of dystopian future movies like The Matrix and Total Recall and Minority Report sure. and all this stuff. So, so yes, we're not, yes, are we entering the phase of Terminator where we're going to be at war physically with robots? I don't think we're quite there yet, uh, but your point is the correct one, which is that we're basically entering an information war. And if, if the AI, and this is why James Damore, uh, who is the Google engineer that, that got fired over uh, writing his anti-diversity memo, uh, this is why he is such a key piece to this entire thing. Because Google basically, if, if AI was done the way it's supposed to be done, it's just really machine learning and artificial intelligence is supposed to compile information. And, and by compiling information, you, get, you will get truth. You, it will sift through things that are not true. It will find things that are true. That in and of itself is basically a good thing. Uh, the problem is that the diversity memo, these ideas of this fake diversity yep. and leftism, have seeped into the AI, so it, which, is why when you, which is why when you search certain terms now, they're not showing you the correct things. I think the one that everyone's talking about, uh, I hope I get this right, is if you search uh, American Inventors, the first page in Google will show you mostly black inventors. Now, there's no, of course, there are many brilliant, brilliant black inventors who deserve all the credit and accolades that come with their discoveries. But, if, but something like uh, Thomas Edison is even on the first page. I, I'm slightly butchering this a little bit, but yeah. your audience just check it out for themselves. But that's what the problem is. They're going to so, alter what the reality is. And this is a huge problem. Have you, have you read uh, Max Tegmark's uh, book, Life 3.0? 
No, I haven't. All right. So in it, he talks about how, you know, they're in Israel. They did a study that shows that if you get a judge first thing in the morning, you generally get a light sentence. But the closer you get to lunch, the more hungry they get, the more <laughs> testy they get. So yeah. uh, they the idea was, why don't we just why don't we just put A.I. in charge of the court system? Uh, and so they started doing tests on uh, paroles here in America. And they they I think it was IBM. They got with IBM and they said, let's put all of the stats in. And they they said, well, let's then it, the AI will make a recommendation. Well, they started making recommendations and they found that due to just the pure stats, white people were let out more often than black people. Mm-hmm. And so then they the scientists then said. Is AI racist? And they yeah. went back to change the algorithm. Now, that's not wait that that's not putting yeah. in pure yeah. information. And th- it bothers me when we are starting to talk about opinions and hate speech and who should be heard and who should not. It depends on who puts all the information in. And that is exactly why that this snake will eat itself because the next move that this this thing this monster is is making is now to attack science and and attack scientists so a biologist like Weinstein quite a brilliant biologist actually is now under attack from these people anyone who believes in equality of opportunity not equality of outcome we if we start fiddling so that equality of outcome is based on your race and your sexuality and your gender and all those things we will live in a horrible Philip K. Dick dystopian society yeah. that will not be good for anybody. That will actually be the racist society. Yeah. And we see that. We see evidence of that now, which is why there's also this lawsuit right now against Google by the, uh, the recruiter who said that they didn't want him to hire white and Asian men for uh, engineering jobs because they were overrepresented. So if you, if you take that logic to its end conclusion, you're saying actually – we should be racist against white and Asian people. Now, put white people aside just for a second, just for the, for the ease of the argument. Put white people aside, okay? Let's say you think white people have been in power and blah, blah, blah. The idea, Asian people are a minority in this country. Asian people from wh- whatever country they came from, China, Japan, Taiwan, whatever, came here. No one gave them anything through generations because of hard work and caring about education and family, etc., They've worked very hard and have consistently moved up the socioeconomic ladder. And I think by most ways that we judge success, actually, you're probably the most successful minority in this country. Mm-hmm. Does that mean we should now be discriminating against them? Should they not get jobs that they deserve in the name of diversity? I mean, if you believe that, that is completely antithetical to every other uh, every other set of ideas that this country was founded upon. So these are the things that we're fighting. And, and you're completely right that AI is now a huge piece of this. And, you know, people have the idea that it's going to be Terminator and, and Schwarzenegger is going to be out there. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, you have to take him down. But that, that's not the one you have to worry about yet. What you have to worry about right now is the information one. And especially when you then factor in, well, how do we get our news? We get it through a Facebook mm-hmm. algorithm. How do we get how do we get our videos? Yeah. It's whatever YouTube decides to deliver. And no one knows what's in the algorithm. So that's what we're up against right now. Dave Rubin, uh, the host of the Rubin Report, uh, grab his uh, podcast and listen to it. Listen to the interviews that he does. They are uh, truly fascinating and very varied. Uh, and I think you are part of the solution, Dave. And I, I'm, I'm thrilled at your, at your success and for your success. Thank you so much, Dave. 
thank you, my friend. And, and let's just keep this conversation going. And as I told you, you're welcome in my place anytime. Thank you very much. God bless. Volatility in the stock market, wild swings in Bitcoin, the constant turmoil in Washington. Uh, have you noticed that gold has come off its best year and it's up over 100 bucks with lots of room to run? Why? Because it is the great equalizer. It is something that um, the world goes to when the world goes insane, when the world goes unstable. With all of the things that are happening and especially the interest rates, the interest rates going up are a sign that People now think that there is uh, some sort of inflation coming. No, it'll never happen. Well, it is happening. And that's why gold is is uh, going up. And it's not an all-in strategy. It's Gold is best when you look at it as an insurance policy. When you look at it as a way to spread out your risk. As these things go down, this goes up. It's a smart, long-term investment. As a reminder, Goldline is under new ownership with the with uh, the same great service, the same great people, but better pricing. And it's a great time of the year to be thinking about adding to your IRA. Now through the end of this month, Goldline is offering $750 in free coins when you purchase 25k or more using their industry-leading Express IRA program. Check into your IRA. Make sure you diversify your risk. The stock market is becoming very unstable. Call them now, 866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. Glenn Beck Mercury. Glenn Beck. One thing we didn't get to, we have to get to tomorrow, is what's happening in South Africa. Uh, there is a race war that is beginning. The uh, new president of South Africa just said the time for reconciliation is over, and they are seizing the land and property of, of whites, and it is not going to be good. We'll talk about that on the news and why it matters uh, tonight, yeah. uh, as well as before that, uh, going into... The, the problems with our society, who's to blame for them and how do we solve them? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a, it's a, there are questions that I don't think we ask where we really boil down all that often. We take issue by issue and we complain about them and all of that. When you look at the big picture, it really sort of crystallizes. So we take the big picture over the next two days, break it down on a chalkboard. Uh, what are the real problems? What are the real problems and who's to blame? Uh, by tomorrow, you'll you will have a completely different understanding. Only on the Blaze.com/slash/tv at five o'clock. Glenn Beck, Mercury.